Hi everyone, welcome back to our podcast. And we're taking a look at the gospel reading from today's Mass. And then we're going to try and provide an exegesis of the literal sense of the text. So today's reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. Jesus said to his disciples, You have learnt how it was said, You must love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say this to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In this way, you will be sons of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on bad men as well as good, and his reign to fall on honest and dishonest men alike. For if you love those who love you, what right have you to claim any credit? Even the tax collectors do as much, do they not? And if you save your greetings for your brothers, are you doing anything exceptional? Even the pagans do as much, do they not? You must therefore be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, a really interesting passage, uh, somewhat well-known. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, um, where Matthew has collected a series of Jesus' teachings and put them together, and they're basically all about where Jesus contrasting false righteousness, what the Jews at the time thought righteousness was, with what he, Jesus, considers to be true righteousness. Now, by this point in Matthew 5, Jesus has already listed quite a few of the you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And when Jesus says that, the basic idea here is that the Jews of his time knew the external requirements of the law really well. Um, So they knew the law, they knew all the things that had been said to them about the Torah. Some of them did come from the Torah, some of them were oral tradition, and the Jews were really good at following the external stuff. But Jesus, when he says, but I say to you, he's now revealing the interior transformation that is the real intent behind each of those laws that the Jews know so well. So we start at verse 43, Jesus said to his disciples, now that's not in the original, the lectionary has added that in. In fact, at this point, Jesus is speaking to large crowds. And then he says, you have learnt how it was said. Um, And when it says that the Jews at the time have learnt um, the law from the Pharisees and the rabbis, that's how they came to know God's law. Most of them couldn't read themselves, so they were taught by the Pharisees and the rabbis. So they have learnt how it was said. Um, And in fact, they did a pretty good job here. The Pharisees did hand on the teachings of the Torah pretty well. The the Pharisees didn't deliberately twist any laws of the Torah. They did their best to communicate God's laws as best as they could. Verse 43, Jesus now gives another example. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, that statement is not in the Torah. It is in the Torah to say you shall love your neighbor, but it's not in the Torah to say you should hate your enemy. So it must be that the common Jewish interpretation at this time as the Jews have tried their best to understand the Torah, have uh, developed Leviticus 19.18, which says, love your neighbor. And the common Jewish opinion was developed to such a point that it said, love your neighbor, and therefore that means love no one else and hate your enemies. So the common Jewish teaching at the time was love your neighbor, hate your enemies. What does Jesus mean when he says, He says, love your enemies, and we've all heard this phrase before, rather, you must love your enemies. What does it mean to love your enemies? A lot can be said about the word love, but certainly in the Gospels and in the New Testament as well, 
the rest of the New Testament, what does it mean to love someone? It means to do good to them, to do good to them, to will their best, to do good. It doesn't mean feelings, doesn't necessarily even mean a commitment. We often talk about love in terms of a commitment. In the New Testament thinking, the best way to describe what love means is doing good to someone. That's what it means to love them. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, he means do good to your enemies, do good deeds to your enemies and desire their welfare. He takes it further. He says, pray for those who persecute you. Now, who persecutes the Jews? Why would Jesus say persecute you? So at this time, the people who were persecuting the Jews was, of course, the Romans. The Romans would often put in unjust laws. They would make fun of the Jews. They would often sometimes physically attack and kill and crucify the Jews. They overtook their homeland. The Jews were very much persecuted by the Romans. So Jesus challenges his disciples, his Jewish disciples, to love and pray for the very people who occupy their land, tax them heavily, and treat them with violence and injustice. That's such a radical teaching. Pray for the people who are doing this to you. Again, that's another example of doing a good deed for that person. So not only should you carry their armor for for two miles, not only should you turn the other cheek, Not only should you give them your cloak, those are all good deeds. Another good deed you can do for them, says Jesus, is pray for them. Pray for God's blessing. Now, Jesus has just given all those examples, and now he's going to tell us why he thinks it's important that people do that. Verse 45, in this way, you will be sons of your father in heaven. So Jesus says, in order to be considered a son of the father, of son of God, one must do the things that Jesus has just said. Right, so you need to love your enemies, you need to turn the other cheek. In doing so, you will be sons of your Father in heaven. That probably implies that if you don't do those things as a Christian disciple, you're not really a son of the Father. And obviously that's developed a lot more in the rest of the New Testament. Then he says this statement, which I think has been misunderstood quite a bit, and I certainly didn't understand this statement in context until I read a couple of commentaries on this as I was preparing So Jesus now says, for he causes his son to rise on bad men as well as good, and his reign to fall on honest men and dishonest men alike. First thing to say here is that these two statements mean the same thing. Reign, we see reign as probably a bad thing, but in that culture, reign was a blessing. So Jesus is saying he causes his son, aka blessings, to rise on all people. He causes his reign to fall, aka blessings, on all people, good and evil. So God gives blessings to all people, even evil men. And so Jesus' teaching is just as God does that to all people. So Christians, like good children of their father, should take on the same characteristics of their father and therefore be a blessing and do good to all people. Do you see the connection there? Jesus says the reason you should do good to evil people is because that's what God does. And we're sons of the father. We're sons of God. So to be good representatives of the father... We need to do good to all people as well, just as God gives his blessings and good gifts to all people. That's pretty cool, isn't it? When we realize what Jesus is saying there in context, we should be like the father as much as possible, which means doing good to all people, not just some people. And Jesus now sort of gives us the flip side of that and tells us what it means if we don't do those things. Verse 46 For if you love those who love you, what right have you to claim any credit? So the basic idea here is there's nothing particularly virtuous about doing good for those who do good to us. That's easy to do. 
Disciples of Christ are called to do good to everyone, even those who persecute them. Jesus says even the tax collectors do this. So tax collectors were not well liked by the Jews. They were conspirators with Rome, and the Jews considered them to be sinners. So Jesus is saying even tax tax collectors, who are considered to be the worst of the sinners who couldn't do anything right, even they can love those who love them. So there's nothing particularly virtuous about that. And then Jesus phrases it another way in verse 47. And if you save your greetings for your brothers, are you doing anything exceptional? Even the pagans do as much, do they not? So same basic meaning. Uh, Don't just save your greetings. Don't just be kind to those who are good to you. You need to be kind and give good gifts and show good actions to all people. Disciples of Christ are called to be kind to everyone, even those who persecute them. The more you get into the Sermon on the Mount, you'll often hear the Sermon on the Mount presented as, oh, this is an unrealistic standard Jesus is setting up. It's some sort of mystical thing. Not really. I think it's actually quite grounded. Jesus' basic teaching is we need to do good to all people. And he's given a few examples of how that can look in terms of extreme generosity and extreme selflessness. I think that still does apply today. That's the kind of kingdom Jesus wants his disciples to have, to show Verse 48, this is probably the hardest part right at the end here. He says, you must therefore be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. So Jesus here sets up the ultimate standard. It's not enough to just do easy things. It's not enough to just follow the law externally as the Pharisees did. All of that is, is okay. But Jesus is saying Christian followers must do more than that. Christian followers must strive to be internally changed and perfected even, become so holy that they're almost becoming perfected. So Jesus is telling his disciples that they want to conform their lives to the will of God as much as possible. They want to become perfect as God is perfect. Just as God is holy, the Christian disciples must strive to be holy in every respect. Now, this particular law probably recalls, uh, this particular teaching of Jesus probably recalls Leviticus 19 verse 2, where it says, God says, be holy for the Lord your God is holy. Be holy as I am holy. And in fact, that's said, God says that right before he says, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is actually recalling old commandments that God has given in in the Torah, but had largely been forgotten about. Jesus is calling for a return to that. Be holy as God is holy. Love your neighbor as yourself. Show extreme uh, undeserved kindness to all people. That's what Jesus is calling the Jews back to, which in fact was pretty much laid out in the law, but obviously it got lost amidst all the externals. Now, when in Leviticus 19 verse 2, be holy as the Lord your God is holy, Often the Jews would interpret that to mean holiness as in separating yourself from everything that's unholy, including sinners and Gentiles. Jesus says, no, that's not what that verse means. Jesus says that actually holiness involves loving and doing good to those people, to the tax collectors and the sinners, just as their father loves and does good to them. Now, notice that when it is hard, this teaching is hard, be perfect as God is perfect. Notice that Jesus doesn't use this phrase. He doesn't say, you must be perfect in order to get into heaven. All right. He doesn't say that. Remember earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he did he did lay out the conditions for getting into heaven, where he said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, 
you cannot get into heaven. So what Jesus basically says is, you need to go above the Pharisees in terms of your righteousness. If you can do that, that's the minimum requirement for getting into heaven. Okay, he doesn't say you need to be perfect to get into heaven, right? Did you notice that? But he does say still you must strive for perfection. So it's not like we have to be perfect at the end of our life in order to get into heaven, but still that's what we're supposed to strive for. That is our aim, to be like God, to be as holy as God is. And obviously that's developed a lot by various spiritual writers. Now, just to, I want to reiterate one more time, what's Jesus' central teaching in this passage? Jesus' teaching is that just as God gives blessings and good gifts and good works to all people, good and evil, Christian disciples, if they're going to be true representatives of God, if they're going to be true people who are in his kingdom, they also need to show uh, complete good works, uh, pure generosity, extreme goodness to all people including those who persecute them. That's the main part of this teaching. Now, obviously, this is a very important teaching in um, Catholic theology and and morality, and so there's lots of references to this in the Catechism, lots of places where it's quoted verse by verse. Uh, I'll just give you a couple of them. In verse 1933, in the section on social justice, he says the same... Sorry, the Catechism says, this same duty extend to those who think or act differently from us, The teaching of Christ goes so far as to require the forgiveness of offences. He extends the commandment of love, which is that of the new law, to all enemies. Liberation in the spirit of the gospel is incompatible with hatred of one's enemy as a person, but not with hatred of the evil that he does as an enemy. Paragraph 2303 is in the discussion about peace. says, Deliberate hatred is contrary to charity. Hatred of the Hatred of the neighbor is a sin where one deliberately wishes him evil. Hatred of the neighbor is a grave sin when one deliberately desires him grave harm. Quote, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Unquote. And then paragraph 2608 in the section on how Jesus teaches us how to pray. It says from the Sermon on the Mount onwards, Jesus insists on conversion of heart. Reconciliation with one's brother before presenting an offering on the altar, love of enemies, and prayer for persecutors, prayer to the Father in secret, not heaping up empty phrases, prayerful forgiveness from the depths of the heart, purity of heart, and seeking the kingdom before all else. This filial conversion is directed entirely to the Father. So we'll finish the, today's podcast there. There was a lot in today because this is such a, a pivotal passage and I think it's it's one that needs to be understood. If you've enjoyed this podcast, um, I'd recommend listening again. I've certainly got a lot out of studying for this passage. There's so much in there. And please share it with other people if you think that they would benefit from hearing or really digging into the literal sense of the Sermon on the Mount rather than just sort of, you know, sometimes these vague things we might hear in certain sermons or whatever. Um, so please share it with other people. Leave me a rating on iTunes. Um, it's actually quite good for the podcast for, for, to get ratings because the more ratings we get, then iTunes can, uh, the algorithm on iTunes shows the podcast to more people and that way the word can get out to more people. So if you feel, uh, motivated to do so, if you feel like this podcast deserves four or five stars, then please leave that rating on iTunes. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow. 
Oh, 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 oh,